Hello, this is Sylvester Mackay. Welcome to Doctor Who on Target. Welcome to Who's on Target, the podcast where we discuss the target range of classic Doctor Who books from the 1970s and 80s. If you missed Doctor Who on TV in those pre-DVD days, you missed it forever. Unless, of course, you bought the Target novelisation. So, jump aboard the TARDIS, set the time rotor for late 20th century Earth, and join us as... With a wheezing, groaning sound, we discuss, analyse and reminisce who's on target. That sounds strangely familiar. Hey, listen up, Doc. We're here to say thanks for banishing those gods for us the other day. We're back now. You'll be glad to see to the greatest show in the galaxy. Hey, Doctor. Why did you stop the music? For the general good of all life forms in the universe. I say why, Doctor? Never mind. Although, you do hold one advantage. And what's that? Being the one who sings, you presumably can't hear it. Hey, Doctor. We're just bringing the joy of rap to the galaxy. Yes, and using a silent sea by the sounds of it. This Time Lord has seen gods fall, made enemies eat unlimited rice pudding. I have manipulated my way across the universe. The one thing I draw the line at is musical and lyrical accompaniment to one of my adventures. Ah, a vortex manipulator. Who on earth are you? Did someone mention the Doctor of Music? Just the adventure I was looking for. I am Captain Jack, and I just love to follow the Doctor. I oh, for goodness sake. Ace! Get the Nitro 9 you're not carrying! Friday. Hello, this is Mike from Swansea. And this is Greg from Swansea. And hello, this is Alex from Exeter. Welcome to Doctor Who on Target. This episode we are discussing the Seventh Doctor adventure, The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, Target novel written by Stephen Wyatt, and also the audiobook read by Sophie Aldred. Stephen Wyatt, born 4th of February 1948 in Beckenham, Kent, 
and was brought up in Ealing, West London. He was educated at Latimer Upper School and then Clare College, Cambridge. After a brief spell as lecturer in drama at Glasgow University, he began his career as a freelance playwright in 1975. His first work for television was Claws, filmed by the BBC in 1987, starring Simon Jones and Brenda Blethyn. Wyatt then went on to write two scripts for Doctor Who. These were Paradise Towers and The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. His other television credits include scripts for The House of Elliot and Casualty. He has also worked for BBC Radio since 1985 as both an adapter and an original playwright. Alex, would you like to give us your thoughts first on what you thought of this book and the audiobook? I liked it, but also got a bit annoyed with it. I think it's got a good plot, but I just think it gets a bit sort of all over the place and there's too many things going on. But I like the way it sort of concluded and it actually sort of did make sense by the ending, but it just got a bit annoyed with it halfway through, to be honest. But it's a, it's a well-written idea and it's got lots of things to keep you going and I, I, I liked the way it was connected by the end. So in a way, I did enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, Greg, would you like to give us your initial thoughts on the book? Well, I I really didn't want to turn up today. I tried reading it. I tried listening to the audio. And in desperation this week, I tried watching the actual real TV broadcast. And I couldn't bear any of them. They were. I thought they were absolutely dreadful. Really, it's. Um, I just found it so confusing and dull in the end because there was there didn't seem to be any story it was disjointed bits and, and Alex I, I mean it's fantastic if you understood the end but I didn't I, 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 I think I agree I agree with you there Greg because it's just all over the place it's like so many different ideas being thrown into the mix and I, I think it does sort of make some sense at the end but not a great deal that's what, what what i felt you know like you said about all these ideas being thrown into the mix there, there were lots of imaginative pieces in there and you know like the clowns looked great but i just had no idea what was going on i've tried all the, the formats look reading it listening to it I watched it again last night. Mike, I was saying to you earlier, I, I tried watching the game last night and it still didn't make any sense to me. I think if it's so confusing that you just can't follow it, you, you just tune out, really, don't you? You can't... It's strange because I think the book definitely plods along, doesn't it? It's a very slow-paced, really. Yes. There's moments of tension, there's moments of excitement. Yeah. But, as you said, it's just, it's almost too drawn out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I found the, the TV show okay. I thought the book added a little bit to the TV show. But at the same time, as I just mentioned, it plodded along. It didn't encompass you, take you in as a lot of the other books we've reviewed so far have done. You know, there isn't enough enough intrigue to keep you going. Enough, yes, yeah. enough moments that really take I, you into the story. I, I think the problem with it is that it has these sort of great bits that will take you on a sort of high with the accent. And then you get no... Bit to conclude with on this, what you have an event, you have an action bit, and then it goes to another bit, and it goes to another bit. It doesn't seem to all connect or have. I, I said I agree. It just sort of seems to be plodding along with one idea of the circus, and what's the point of the circus? I just think there was bits where it could have been done more interestingly with, with Ace's character, and it was wasn't really thought out or you know anything added to it. No, I just had a thought. You know, I'd like to sort of compare how many characters there are in this book compared to other target books because there is a heck of a lot isn't there really 
that that might actually add to the confusion because I I loved these different names like um, bellboy and uh, kingpin and uh, unfortunately they they're not really identifiable I felt it it became confusing because there were so many different characters in there did anybody else feel like that something I mentioned a little while back I know I we tend to have repeated in this podcast that a lot of characters across various books are quite one-dimensional. I wouldn't say these are characters in this book, rather they're more like caricatures. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, well, I would actually, I would, because there's like, a, you know, the character of what a werewolf should be. There's a character of the sort of clowns, what now they're meant to be scary. Well, I don't think, think they are very scary, and that's what I think that element loses out. If they, you know, if they dealt more with Ace's fear of clowns mm-hmm. and... Why is he's afraid? And I think it would be a much more interesting vein to go down. But they don't. They just happen like sort of scary mafia character, and it was annoying me to be honest. He's so, a caricature. Then the explorer. We've got the captain. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a... You've also got like a, a caricature of the whole sort of hippie culture. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And it was just a mishmash because I, I thought, okay, so we've got this greatest show in the galaxy on this other planet. People come from all over the universe to see this circus and yet everybody who's on this planet seems to be a stereotype parody of an a british person yeah like a variety act yeah (laughs) absolutely like like a variety theater isn't it you know really well i found myself when i was drifting in and out of consciousness consciousness (laughs) uh, trying to listen to it i was wondering why this was commissioned and i thought well actually John Nathan Turner would probably have loved this because it's just like a big pantomime variety show. It got me wondering, is the whole point, was the whole point of the script just to give Sylvester a chance to play spoons in front of an audience at the end? <laughs> well, you just got there before me, Mike, because I was wondering with, with Syl sort of, you know, past and what he's done, was it his idea going, oh, I can do sort of, you know, comedy and theatre and sort of all that sort of stuff. Let's do a whole episode about it. I, I genuinely, I, I'm not... Um, doing this to sort of uh, take the mick out of it, but can you honestly tell me what the story is? I genuinely don't don't get it. I don't Ace know. and Doctor receive this sort of yeah. funny mail, don't they, from this yeah. this robot that enters the TARDIS, and they decide to go and visit this circus on this <laughs> yeah. planet. And yeah. Various <laughs> things occur. It just plods all over the place, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, what what is it? I mean, you you know with, with the, we have the, the gods of Ra- Ragnos, is it? Ragnarok. Ra- Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Yeah. So they they are the three characters that are only the only audience in the tent. So what what is going on there? What what's the point what, of them? I have no, I have no idea because why on earth does it take like nearly to the last chapter before you know who they are? Yeah, yeah there's no tension there. I mean, it's four parts on TV, isn't it? And I think the cliffhanger to part three is the werewolf change. Yes, yeah. Yeah, which is I thought was superbly done on television. Yeah. And Jessica Martin, she's a very good actress. That was good. I didn't think that was too bad in the book yeah. either, but I agree, it's, but it was brilliant in the TV episode. Just want to mention, mm. I saw her on stage in the touring production of Spamalot a few years ago. She's, she was really good in that as well, as the oh, Lady of the Lake. Right, yeah. I yeah. bet, I bet. Yeah, she, she was excellent. I mean, talking of, um, of uh, characters being played in there, if we could 
go back to what? What's the guy's name with the motorbike? The the thug. Oh, it's just gone. I just oh. listened to it so often, but it's yeah. just gone. And this is it. To is edit it, this in after. Is it Deed? Is it Dawn? It's it something like that. I've so, forgotten as well. It's yeah. Kingpin for the main guy. Yeah. Kingpin and Bellboy and Dawn. He's Bellboy, isn't he? No, Bellboy. No, no, it's not no, Bellboy. I think he's Dawn. Whiskey, yeah. We we'll talked yeah. about Whiskey. We wanted to talk about oh, Whiskey later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, well, I, I just thought. He came, he comes across badly in the story as a thing, but the TV portrayal, oh my goodness! Talk about Amdram acting; it's absolutely appalling. Uh, what did you think, Alex? I haven't seen I haven't seen the T one for a while. I, I do believe it probably is probably bad. I, I just thought he's such a stereotype of the sort of mods and that in time. It just felt. That's, that is my whole problem with every character in this book. They are such stereotypes. As I mentioned, yeah, Al, yeah. isn't it? It's caricatures rather than characters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely. Actually, could I could I ask you, Mike? We did have a little chat about this earlier. The character of Wizkid. Would you, would you like to say what you think about that? Well, he's he's always been quite controversial since this story was first broadcast as being representative, basically, to fandom of that time, to Doctor Who fandom of that time. You know, he's... He's always been portrayed as the Anorak, the geek. You know, he has the thick rimmed glasses. He has the cardigan on. Yeah. He's very much sort of whiny, even in the book, isn't he? You know, Sophie Aldred in the audio book puts a sort of very whiny tinge to her voice. Yes. Yeah. Very sort of needy tinge to her voice when she's speaking his lines. Absolutely. What did you think, Alex? Yeah, it's it's a real interesting because Sophie does it really well. Makes him into sort of nerdy sort of voice. Well, it is sort of look on how fandom was a sort of starting back then, I suppose, with Doctor Who and how it wasn't being controlled as much, so it did get sort of quite dangerous and sort of not great for the people around it. So I suppose it was sort of a backlash in the actual episode, I suppose. It's interesting and because I, I found that character portrayal really offensive. When this Wizkid guy came out, I I recognised that straight away and I felt really offended. First of all, I was shocked to find out it's not actually Jan Samarco plays it in the TV. Yeah, version. she played Adrian Mole superbly, didn't he? Just a I, few years before this. Yeah. Oh, really? Is it the same person? Yeah, and I mentioned yeah. to this. This is one of the things possibly that turned me off Doctor Who for a bit with Sylvester. You know, I remember watching Greatest Show and getting excited at the time because I recognised the name Jan Samarco. He'd been brilliant in Adrian Mole. Yeah. As Greg mentioned, he was. Oh, he's portrayed so awfully. Oh, so dreadful. awfully in this story, you know. But I know, and and in the book as well, you know. Yeah, in the in the book, it's it's dreadful in the so. It's it's really bad the way that one character is portrayed. I felt really insulted and uh, by it, you know, and I I just thought every time he speaks in it, within a few seconds, the other characters are making grimacing faces, going oh. God, what a boring person! And I it's so stereotyped, isn't it? You know he's, you know he's going to get that sort of end. You know you do, yeah. He's it's heading for it. It's predictable like that. But I, I just thought, I, I just thought, what sort of a show makes stereotypes of what it believes its audience is like, and then insults them? I, I don't think that's why. I think it's nasty. I think it's a nasty thing to do. Yeah, because just... yeah, we, I mean, we've if you compare to what happens now, we've got Osgood who is portrayed a bit as a Doctor Who fan, yeah. but she's a great character, 
Um, it's got a depth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But... She's a great, fantastic character. And they've, they've had, in the recent years, they've had other people who have been fans, but they, they turn into the sort of hero of the piece. Remember the, um, the David Tennant, well, the um, specials, the one with the bus? He was a Malcolm, was yeah. scientist, was a fan. Well, yeah. Was the the others, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Who, who was brilliant and talented and... Uh, and similarly, we, we, look what happened with um, Linda in the episode. What was the Love and Monsters? Love and Monsters, yeah. which I yeah. loved. Yeah. So I, I, when I saw that character, I thought it was nasty. I don't know who, if it was Stephen Wyatt who made that character. But in a know, way, do you think it was a slight backlash fans John Nathan Turner at the time was going to put up with? I definitely think so. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, it was quite vicious in those days, wasn't it? Really. I, I, I think there's a different level in fans now with Doctor Who to how there was back then. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think ev- everybody's a Doctor Who fan. I mean, it's quite interesting. Um, I was watching Alan Partridge. What's his name, the comedian? Steve Coogan. Uh, Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan. I was watching Steve Coogan live on stage the other night, and he came on and he was talking about Wales, and he said a few years ago, said, you never heard about Wales, nobody cared. He said, now they make Doctor Who there. And everybody <laughs> cheered in the order, you know. And it just goes to it's show true. you, everybody loves Doctor Who. It's not... Thank uh, you again, Russell. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. And Julie yeah. and Phil Collinson and lots of other people. Absolutely. And I think this uh, this idea of the fandom, um, which is that nasty uh, type that we're talking about now, it wasn't there before John Nathan Turner came there. It was there after he came, and that was his perception of... I think it was so much harder in those days without social media. You know, you had you had things like you had the bulletin newsletters, didn't you? Yes. Some of them... Quite... You had the sort of fan scenes that were yeah. made by the fans, so it had that sort of angle. Yeah. Some of those were very sort of nasty towards JNT and the productions, weren't they? And Sylvester McCoy and Colin Baker. I think you had to be of that mind. You had to be had to go out and really seek that sort of thing. And possibly, yes. if you were quite angry about the show, but you would make the effort to, you know. I I agree. Give I'm your so- disapproval because there's plenty of parts of the internet that are still like that. Oh yes. But it's just we have the broader base now because the show is popular now. Yes. You you can see far more elements of fandom now. Absolutely. And I think the problem is, um, you know, yes, we there are people like that, but there are people like that who are fans of everything, aren't there, you know? Definitely. But I think John Nathan Turner attracted that type, magnified them and held them up as this is a Doctor Who fan. This Because when people watched Tom Baker and John Pertwee, nobody went around saying, calling Doctor Who fans anoraks and nerds and geeks and nobody did that it was a real family show universities had rooms where everybody loved to go and watch doctor who um families settled down with doctor who it what it, it wasn't there that image wasn't there so I, I blame entirely john nathan turner for that and i just think what a nasty thing to do to have a character in there taking the mech out to the very people who were providing his living for yeah, him. Yeah, I think I remember watching it when I was, at the time, 10 or 11, and it sort of hit home with me then. Yes. It's like, oh, this is, well, I, I do, this, I this do is remember, how the show sees me. Yeah. It's one of the ones I do remember, because, and I think it's that reason, it did sort of stay in your memory, the way people were in it. 
Yeah, because it was it was hurtful a bit. I think. Was, uh... Do Do you think Do you think it's because before John even Turner, there was no sort of industry like it turned into like the merchandise and things like that with you know people like well, John Pertwee and Tom Baker. Part of the reason, part you know, he actually is attributed with starting that, particularly in America. Yeah, I mean, he used to. In the, in the biography written about him, he used to work Monday to Friday and all of a sudden he'd uh, jump on a plane or maybe Concorde from Heathrow at that time yeah. over to the States and he'd go... F- he used to love the way he'd get treated like a god at American conventions, you know, because they were so enthusiastic for the show. So in a way, he sort of triggered that, but yeah. then that created resentment amongst British fans who yeah. wouldn't see him. He wouldn't be as accessible to them. He wouldn't want to go to conventions as often as he would in the States. No, no. Because he, he knew and it's, and Brits it's, were going to be a lot more cynical towards him and he, he was yeah. going to get that sort of adulation. Absolutely. And don't forget, what he was trading on when he went to America was not the programme that he had made. It was the programme his predecessors had made, namely Tom Baker, Philip Hinchcliffe, mm. um, you know, and then John Pertwee going on to... Because these were the ones that the fans absolutely adored and loved. Yes. And, and so he was living off a glory which wasn't his... Until yeah, I mean, until it you know later on. Yeah. There's a case for saying you know you have to market it somewhere I suppose mm. and would it have the popularity now in America? Yeah. Without that happening at the time because they they had huge conventions going on in the wilderness years didn't they between eighty yes. nine and oh five. Yeah, yeah. They he, had he, huge conventions still going on then so mm. you know that that obviously helped to keep the show alive he, in other parts of the world. He he was very good at marketing but I think you have to question if your marketing involves marketing a product as something which is seen as negative and something to be laughed at is that is that a good thing no is that is i think whiskey is a definite dig yeah and i fans. i was appalled by that character i have to say um mike any more so any more characters which stood out for you in there um, yeah, can we sort of digress to the audiobook as well, should we? Yeah, I mean, we, we just te- mix it in. We mix tend to have had a section specifically towards the audiobook, but if we just mention things as we go along. I was most amused by the character of the captain, and um, why Sophie Aldridge decides to play him with a strong Irish accent, I don't know. I don't think he, he's more sort <laughs> it's of... It's a, uh, a bit of a weird one, isn't it? On in the book. You know, he does kind of work in a way, but... Yeah. He is quite a, he's quite, quite an amusing character, but he's... He's almost literally one-dimensional. He is out for his, his own survival, isn't he? Yeah, he I mean, is. Can we can, can we go through these characters, giving them, giving them one specific trait? He is. I want to survive. Yeah. At all costs, Wiz Kid is. I want to meet the. I want to perform in front of the circus. I want to meet the circus. Yeah. At all costs. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of Flower Child, Hippie, Hi- Bellboy, same Hippie. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, the gentleman on the motorbike whose name is still escaping me. <laughs> yeah, like like you said, rocker, mod, or whatever. Um, I, I don't know, ridiculous stereotype. Even now, we've gone through five or six characters. And have, have we gone through them all? That's the um, yeah, thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think that's all of them. I mean, what about what about the woman who is who is she at the um, at where you get your tickets? Well, the non-existent oh, um, ticket. Morgana, yeah. isn't it? Morgana, Morgana yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre. It's um, what what struck me as well reading, listening to and watching this was if if you go back to say the mind robber which is, that's bizarre but it's bizarre with a story and a reason behind it. Or something it. like from Sylvester era like Ghost Light which yeah. oh, I find just superb. People to this day still don't understand but he still has a much better plot than this. Yes, yes. I, I think yeah. it's superb Ghost yeah. Light. So, oh, so much intrigue there. Such a confined space yeah. in the house. Yeah, yeah. 
is much better. I mean, this, you know, you have, for example, this this character. We've seen it over and over again of um, this um, military type jungle wearing, uh, you know, soldier type, and we in. Uh, yeah, yeah, there really is a stereotype, isn't it? You know, we yeah, definitely. It's been in Doctor Who over and over again. We we've seen it. Oh, where 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 have we seen it before? We it's in Ghost Light. We get the guy, the one in Ghost Light. We get the one in um, Black Orchid. The it's time and time again, isn't it? And that's where. I wonder how imaginative Stephen Wyatt is writing this script. He did write the script, didn't he, I think? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, because he's just taken bits and pieces from everywhere. And like you said, Alex, it's just a mix. It's like a pot puree of bits and pieces, I think. We have yeah, that's my, that is my whole problem. I just think it needs a, a serious edit. And they could have gone stick with one character. Yeah, Yeah. we have the name Nord, is the... Uh... Is a biker actually played by Daniel Peacock, who I think is a brilliant actor. Really, perhaps yeah. wasted again like Jan Samarco, I think. In yeah, story. yeah. We also have Deadbeat. Ah, yeah, that's that was another one. That's the other one. Yeah, and the Chief and Clown, I think, it... comes across much better Ian Redditon in the TV show than he does in the novelization. No- yeah, yeah, in the novelization. Sorry, Alex, what are you going to say? I just think that sort of sometimes the names sort of sum up the sort of characters, and it's not. It's not much thinking behind them. That's the caricature thing again. Think, yeah, isn't it? yeah. That, keep that, going on about it. But. Yeah, no, but that, but, but that is it, isn't it? It's, it's caricatures. It's um, it's lack of story. I mean, I, goodness knows what Terence would say about this, and I wouldn't have got past him as script editor, would I? Oh, this, <laughs> this this script would have been ripped to bits by Terence. I ima- I can imagine it really would have, wouldn't it? Because it's just no story. It's I mean, you know, um, I think you mentioned. Alex and Mike actually about some intrigue coming in in parts of it which I suddenly woke up and go oh right so are we going to get an idea of what's going on I'm getting into this again now and then it it slowly sort of sends you to sleep again doesn't it exactly it it leads nowhere does it you know it's just I have to say it's probably one of the most disappointing Doctor Who novelizations and stories that I've, I've ever seen could I ask, I wondered, because I was desperately trying not to be so nasty about it, but I was wondering, I, nev- I never saw this on TV, because I'd gone from watching Doctor Who by then, with the advent of Sylvester McCoy, actually. I saw um, Time and the Rani, and that was it. I couldn't bear to watch it again. But I wonder what role nostalgia plays, because I can look at other ones which weren't as good, but I can still find good things in them. Whereas this one, I really struggled. Is it, do you wonder, because I'm not reading it in with a nostalgic view, or do you think it's because there's nothing there? That's, that's true, yeah, yeah. We can rose-tint our favourites from childhood, can't we? You know, but I'm, to be honest... It's, a, it's, a, it's an awkward one, because I, I watch certain Sylvester McCoys, which I really love still, and I watch this, and I just get annoyed. So I think... It, well, I think the ones what I like have to have a good plot, and that's why I love Curse of Fenric. Yeah, yeah. Very true, I like Fenric too, but to me, yeah. you know, Davison is my doctor growing up, and I don't often have the urge to go back and watch a lot of his era, to be honest. I mean, yeah. like stories like Black Orchid, mm. uh, Resurrection of the Daleks, yeah. Caves of Androzani, oh, wow. I love, but you know, yeah. I just. Once I've seen, I've seen all of Tom now on DVD, and you just realise how superb most of that era was. Mm. Everything after yeah. that was always going to be, you know, failing to come up to scratch. Arguably, yeah. they had 
they had a lull period for the last 10 years until that last season of Sylvester, which I love. Yes. And Alex just mentioned Fenric. Yeah. Survival. Great. I just think there are, in that last series of Sylvester, there are some absolute brilliant. So it's an absolute brilliant. And that's why I think it's a shame that it went, because I think you could have got that brilliance for a whole season. I think, was that when Andrew Cartmel came on board? Yeah, he was producer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the the difference between that last season and uh, Andrew Cartmel and the, the one the two before it is absolutely huge, isn't it? You've got some real quality, real stories. I mean, you know, it's interesting, Alex, that you said about the clowns. You didn't find them frightening at all. Um, just, I, I read the book, I read, listened to the audiobook, and they just don't make you feel scary. There's no menace to them. They're just there as sort of robots. And I, I don't think anybody had got, you know, um, Ace quite right. So they didn't have, you know, what Sophie could do with her. And they could you know, have done so much more of her fear of clowns. She sort of mentions it, but doesn't really go into it. Even in this, you know, mid sort of mid-period of Sylvester's stories... The fact it's a, like set in a almost variety show setting, he's playing up to that strength of his character. But Sylvester is never better than when he's dark and when he's serious. Yes, there's elements of this and that story. There's parts of the story. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's th- that last season where he's totally, you know, he manipulates Ace and yeah, he's very and, but, dark, isn't he? That's that's where he comes into his strength, and there just wasn't enough of that in his era. Yeah. Do do you both like the best appeared with with Bonnie Langford? Because I can't stand it. No, I no. can't bear it. I can't bear it. Not and at that, all. That, that's why I haven't brought any of the last couple of big finish when they've brought Mel back because I just can't stand it. No, no. no I, I mean, absolutely. I kind of like Bonnie Langford as a person. I don't like her persona mm. much. It's very sort of variety. And uh, yeah, I met yeah. her, and she's lovely. You know, lovely person. Oh, but... I, yeah, yes, it's lovely like, person. Yeah. I've been loving her yeah. in EastEnders, but yeah. it's, it's just, just, I just don't know what it is. Her and Sylvester don't seem that to was work. Just, it was pantomime, was that with Colin as well? And oh, she was there. It... it was total pantomime, and the, obviously we spoke about Colin's suit and oh, yeah, just, yeah. It just stands out for the wrong reasons that era, doesn't it? I remember seeing um, Time and the Rani, and I was already um, wandering then. I was like, of that age, you know. And seeing Time of the Rani, and that finished me with Doctor Who. The only thing which brought it back was I accidentally, it might have been the trailer actually of, no, Revelation of the Daleks? No. Uh, what was uh, Remembrance. The Remembrance of the Daleks. When the spaceship comes down in the schoolyard, and I thought, oh, that's looking better again, you know. But it, it was not enough to make me watch it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was starting to find its way back, I think, from. Definitely from Remembrance of the Daleks, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thankfully, Colin and Sebastian have had big finish work now. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we'll oh, it's so, yeah. so much better big finish stuff, which really has helped. Memorable moments at all from the book, Greg? Oh. <laughs> Memorable moments from the book. Um, I really am struggling. I don't know if I've got early onset Alzheimer's or if it is this book I don't know it's uh it, it, the latter I think yes yeah yeah there's there's nothing strike that strikes me like I say those the bits which you both mentioned little bits of intrigue started to get me interested you know for example why are they running what what are they running from nothing's resolved nothing's explained it's just 
So an actual memorable moment, I, I haven't got one. I genuinely haven't. And I, it's so sad for me to say that, because, but it's true. As you talk about resolutions, it's just these, the gods of Ragnarok use entertainment as their own power, don't they? You know, the ability yeah. to judge people in this reality TV again, back to that era. Yes, yeah. Um, and then the Doctor sort of uses it against them in the end to achieve victory. And well, yeah. there you are. It's yeah. <laughs> well, that's... That, that that's that's exactly what's going on there isn't it you've got these little things which you think you put more work into that mike than i think stephen wire put into the script because you said what could have been going on there that wasn't made clear in the story at all it's not it's just so it's just all over the place what, what is the point of this whole eye thing and it's just not you know. yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, he did put me in mind the lord of the rings you know the eye of sauron but uh yeah. Like, so the themes that are coming in from other yeah. stories, yeah, possibly a bit of Star Wars. I, well, I was thinking of The Hobbit when he goes, yeah. the, uh, there's a line in it where he goes, oh, I wish I had some rabbits. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, so let's run those rabbits. That. I mean, if he could have flown in on Giant Eagle at the end and sorted this out as well, that could have been good, <laughs> as he does in The Hobbit films. <laughs> Make a memorable moment. It's generally just the one, the, the werewolf transformation is just superb, that's superb on TV. Ah, oh, but is it in the book? Transformation yes. is there because she chases the seventh doctor. No, I I mean, is it is it as good? Oh, in the, in the um, book? there's tension there. I think it helps mm. with the audio book. The music is yeah. ramped up once yeah. again. The audio design is very good. Yeah, yeah. Very, much must find out the names of the people who yeah design the audio for these books because they they do ramp up they the tension. Yeah, they they don't overdo it, do they? They they no, come no. there's the right amount there. I think. But part know. of me, you know, wanted her to go and savage the uh, the captain who just set her up. <laughs> But, you know, and, he ends up yeah. just dying in a different way in the end, doesn't he? So. Yeah, and again... Yeah, he, he gets so. thrown down the well at the yeah. end, doesn't he? Yeah, and again, it's a, it's a good idea, because I, lo I love werewolves, you know, and when, when I, I obviously guessed she was a werewolf, and they brought up the moonlight yeah. um, spotlight, you know, that's great, isn't that's it? That's I mean, well done up with the tension, you know? Yeah. Can and I make a stage request, he says, doesn't he? he yes, yeah. Now, that's a great idea, but that doesn't go anywhere either, does it? If you, if you think Russell T Davis had a very very similar idea he might have pinched it we don't know in borrowed <coughs> borrowed it in <laughs> in, in Toth and Claw because we have essentially the same thing there don't we where yes. we have somebody a human who transforms in moonlight which is filtered through a special uh, uh sort of optical machine isn't it you know and we have the same sort of thing there don't yeah. we and it's great it's wonderful it's a great idea but we have the idea, and it's just thrown away. Yes. Alex, any special moments for you? Uh, what I was going to say, same as Mike, the werewolf bit is pretty good, and um, maybe a bit at the end with the gods of Ragnarok, but there, it's like, yeah, there isn't really anything that really went well, that's a good bit, it's just trying to find bits, it's not very easy. No, no. So Yeah, yeah can I just mention that something that takes away from a TV show as I mentioned with the Ark in Space last month, is the that bit at the end where the, the tent explodes. The circus tent explodes, and in TV you just see Sylvester walking away without a flinch on his face. Great scene, great scene. And it's just so underplayed in the book. It's just 
another plodding part of the story. Where was it? I was, grab me. I, was, that's what I was I was looking, that's a bit I know from watching and looking forward to, and the sort of stories we know from Sylvester saying how it nearly did kill him, and where, it was just went by in the book with nothing happening. I think it's literally, Al, it's just a line or two, you know, the circus tent yeah, exploded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just that, so, that, that by the by, it, really. Yeah. Because he, even his descriptions aren't... Um, that good are they and you know it's like you know he misses an opportunity like I that think, like yeah he, to go more in depth yeah he could he could have uh that, you know because he would have seen the way it was yeah. done on screen then mm. surely he would have thought they've done a good job of that but i can improve on it yeah yeah but it, it doesn't do that it's, it's uh it's very I mean, what do you think of the, the use of his language you, you've got a love of language greg well, I actually loved the the names. I thought they were really imaginative and interesting and but I didn't feel go anywhere. If I say Bell Boy now, it doesn't inspire anything in me. It's just no. an interesting sounding name. Um and and that's the problem. I think um he's picked up on these interesting names and the gods of Rack he's got he's got the feel but there's no substance behind it. I, I, I think, you know, some of the chapter titles aren't too bad in this book. Could I, could I ask, I don't know if anybody's mentioned, what about Sophie Aldred's reading of the audiobook version? Oh, that saves it. I think that saves the book. I think it's that good. It actually want, makes you want to listen. Even though I was falling asleep like you, Greg, because it's terrible in some bits. Yeah. But that's more, that's more the book's fault than Sophie's reading, because her reading is absolutely excellent. Yeah, I... except except for because nobody can get it right of Sylvester's voice. That's uh, true. Yeah, yeah. Very um, very enthusiastic, isn't she? That's that's the good thing about it. There's I... obviously the reason of why the captain has an Irish accent. We discussed again, <laughs> but it's it's quite well done, isn't it? It's quite well done. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a mystery. No, no, need to solve. Sophia, Sophia I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But nobody can get Sylvester's voice right. I've, I've listened to the recent Lisa Bauman Human Nature, and she can't get it. And Sophie can't get it either. I, I think mean, there's just something weird about his voice. Yeah. Raspy. There's something... Uh, she tries with those R's, doesn't she? Yeah. She tries. She tries to roll them. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, he's... He is very difficult. I've seen a lot of impressionists on YouTube. They don't quite get him, you know. Ones who are very good at other doctors, they don't... It gets to me with the whiny girl's voice, because she yeah. does it really well, doesn't she? You know, it's... And is uh, it Nord or Bellboy who does the little song to themselves and she... It's not yeah, really. It's the a, t- he's it's almost. A, he's a more, more or less just saying the words in the TV show. She's saying like surf the dream. Oh, you know, it's. I I was going to say when I tried to watch the TV version, um, I I phoned you up, Mike, didn't I? I think oh, I texted you to say um, within about five minutes. Within about that. yeah. <laughs> as soon as the the rapper came on, again I felt so. It 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 made me feel like I was being taken the mick out of. Like, yeah. like I was being talked down to like a silly child in school because I thought well, they've got somebody in here to, and actually the guy doing the rap in the act it was actually very good to it actually but it was the whole idea that they were going to talk down to the silly little children watching and put a rap in because that's where it's at now kids yeah, yeah it, I felt so insulted again you know Five minutes, Mike, you said, and it was off, was it? That was it. I debated with you, Greg, earlier. I did have a thought this morning about doing my introduction as a rap, a parody rap to the podcast. (laughs) I couldn't find anything to rhyme with who's on target, you know? I I was thinking maybe the podcast was small, but now we're going to large it. (laughs) Couldn't do that. Uh, Welcome, folks, to who's on target. (laughs) 
I think yeah. if we're gonna go for um, <laughs> for scores, so I gotta say mine mine started off reasonable and it's possibly it's lowering now. It's oh, really? I don't know. I think lowest I go was a six before, and I oh. Oh, no, I'll wait and see. I had this problem as I started off quite high, and then I listened to it, and it's sort of been going down. And I've been trying to be kind, but I don't know. Yeah, and you have been thinking about the scores as well, guys. You know, we say like a, a three is a pertwee. Yeah, in a way that sort of. Occurs to me that we don't think Pertwee's very good, whereas we love him. Say if, say if we if we ever ended up giving someone a Hartnell, yeah, you know he's the original. Perhaps we should just stay to yeah. the stay to the actual figure, because, not the uh... <laughs> yeah, because that's what Michael um, misunderstood, didn't he? In the Army yeah. Stage yeah. podcast, uh, our guest when, our guest review last time, yeah. Because when he said that, I didn't get it, but re- afterwards, yeah. from what you, t- I realised now why he thought that. Is because... Let's say like an eight, if we said, oh, eight Hartnells for me, that's... Yes, yeah. Maybe you could say like that. So, but... yeah, maybe we should just give the scores. Do you Let think us two's... know what you think, at who's on target on Twitter, folks. Thank you. So, are we going to each, you know, with, with the scores? Who would like to go first with the scores? Put your hands up. Greg, <laughs> should we let you go first with the score this time? <laughs> I'm, and I genuinely mean this, um... I'm giving it one out of ten. Ooh. A new record, a new record, right? I, I just, I if I'm if I'm going to be honest and, and and say to myself what I really, I genuinely couldn't bear to read, listen, or watch it. So I can't, you know. I recognise some good things in it, but they tend to be attributed to the actors, like that lovely scene where Sylvester comes out of the exploding tent, um, the 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 werewolf transformation, but that's not the book and that's not the it doesn't it it's does, very fractured isn't it that's the word I've used before it's very it plods along there's a odd bit of tension really good description then it sort of right? falls back yeah. in on itself again and we skipped over Alex your score please Al I've got a thing now because Greg's gone in really low and I was going to be quite nice but I think I think I'm going to have to go with a 4 out of 10 I think Oh, a very, very low score again Alex yeah you know I, I'm probably I, I'm probably a bit too positive at times I am denied about giving this a silver, a seven. Yeah, that's system. what I started at. That's yeah. what I started at. But I think, you know, I gave Tenth Planet a six. Or oh, should we be comparing the old ones now? I don't know. Mm. Oh, I'm going to stick with Colin. It's going to be six from me. Six out of ten from me. Well, there's a big variety there, isn't there? There's, definitely. There's, definitely uh, you yeah. know, well, it's sad, really, because I've looked at Stephen Wyatt's biography and he wrote... I think he wrote quite a few other TV shows. I'll have to double check again. Yeah, which which I really rated and really enjoyed. I don't know, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a real difficult one to score. I think because it has a few positive things about it, and then you're starting to like it, and then it goes back on itself, and you get annoyed with it. So it's a really difficult one to be either kind or not kind with. I I agree with you there, Alex. Especially, I was looking forward to doing. Um, the target books which i'd never read tv stories which i'd never watched so i was really looking forward to it so i thought all oh, right we're on sylvester now let, let me come to it with fresh eyes and have a look and and i was so disappointed that um to, to feel like that about it i i, I promise all our listeners i did try but uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> Greg, your thoughts on the cover for this uh, novelisation? I think it's definitely the 1980s. Um, I, I think it's it's not of the target type, which I like. It hasn't got the... Um, it hasn't got the style. It hasn't got the... I don't know, the, the panache of the illustration. Again, we've got this eye 
in the background but what that eye is there for i've no idea really i, I find it very unimpressive we've got the three gods of ragnaroks in their sort of stones and they, they just look like somebody's left some rocks on the beach really i think it's, it's very poor mike what about you i actually really like it craig oh. i think it you know a lot of the target books of that era as we've said are just the photos which literally had nothing to do with the True. so they've made the effort with the artwork here it's got the elements of the story there you've got the doctor it's clearly sylvester you've got the gods the monsters you've got the circus the blue and white blends in quite well. I, I like the fact the title is in yellow. It stands out amongst the blue. Yeah, that's true. I, I do true. really like this cover, to ah. be honest. Yeah. Difference of opinion, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It, sounds, it sounds pretty, you know, it would probably look good on the shelf if you're trying to buy it because it says everything, what's in it, basically. That's it, at is, least. Uh, has it got the Sylvester period logo, then? No. No, it's either the, I can never remember if it's the Pertwee or the McGann TV movie, I think. I think it's it? the McGann well, I think the one I used to have had the you know ones I used to have had the actual dot you know, the Sylvester period logos. They must have changed them. Yeah, is that definitely the the original cover? Because I thought it had the clowns on the original cover. No, it is uh, that one, Greg. Yeah, yeah. I thought the original cover of it was yeah. bright blue with Sylvester in the tent. It had the blue background with the, the the Sylvester logo in black and white. Yeah. With just him and the tent on it. That's what I was oh, imagining. Nineteen eighty nine edition. Yeah, yeah. We just look in now, Alice, because I I don't I didn't recognise that picture. That oh, there just... is a nineteen ninety one edition as well. Yeah. I ah, I was wondering. I might. That sounds like the one I might have had. Yeah, that looks pretty reasonable. And Alistair Pearson did the. Uh, oh, I know Alistair Pearson is a is a well known uh, yeah target uh, illustrator, isn't he? So what's that one looking like? I see it very well. That's the Sylvester logo. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That's the one I probably have. It's about the right time period. Yeah, I think that's, that's yeah. Is that yeah. any improvement? Not really. It's got the tent on it. And that's about, yeah, <laughs> really I mean, that, the tent was there and the other one as well. Yeah, was it? Was it? It was. It, yeah. Is there much of a difference? It's just, no, literally the black banner at the top, isn't it? You know, yeah. I yeah, think I preferred... Actually, I think that tells you, though, it's a Sylvester period, though. That's the only thing I... Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't like how they're so markedly sort of different. Really, you know, I I'd rather if they just stuck to the one, possibly one logo all through the target box. You know. Yeah. I, as long I, as you've got a picture of the Doctor on there, you know which Doctor it is. So. Next time on Doctor Who on Target, we will be reviewing Doctor Who and the Massacre by John Lucarotti completely missing adventure from the 1960s. We'll also be reviewing the audio version as narrated by Peter Purvis. Doctor Who on Target Podcast 9 featured Greg James, Alexander Gibbons and Michael Winks. Seventh Doctor Sketch Voice provided by Mr. Jonathan Carley. Check out his YouTube channel, Dr. Tripod. Musical arrangement originally composed by Delia Dalisher and Ron Greener. Opening credits arrangement by Smerin's Antisocial Club. Closing theme arrangement by Bendy Keys Music. Who's on Target Episode 9 was recorded in Swansea, South Wales and Exeter, Devon, England during September 2015.